0: to episode four of Consensus Unreality. We are here today talking with Elizabeth Scott, a poet, a practitioner of ceremonial magic, and a worker of the tarot, among other things. Also responsible for transmitting the work of other great designers, artists, and writers through her collaborative platform, CSU72. Um, what's up, Elizabeth?
1: Hey, thank you guys for having me. <laughs>
0: Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, we're yeah. Su- super excited. This is our first interview, and we hope to do many more. So I think we can jump in with this first interrogation here. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you were younger, can you remember like some inklings that sort of began the spark of your interest in the occult? or, like, esoteric literature, or maybe just, like, general strangeness?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, definitely when I was young, I had a lot of weird experiences, um, like, I would say with maybe spirits or ghosts, um, which I actually don't, the last true, like, ghost experience I had was maybe when i was i think it was almost a decade ago now um but when i was younger i was like wide open and i think it's because it was before i you know was doing any kind of protective work or banishing work or kind of closing the door to that so to speak like i think the um the fissure through which things can enter is a little bit more contained now um but yeah, I mean I think it's interesting because just as a poet and as an aristotelicist, um kind of like the place where I began to feel interested in poetry, um, and the place where I think I began to to feel the significance of, you know, the hidden world, um, kind of began with the same thing, which is just that um You know, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, um, and at that time my parents were still together and my dad, um, is basically, um, he's devoted his life to studying ancient Egyptian art, um, and art history. So when I grew up there, um, we spent a lot of time at this museum where he was a curator at that time, um. And, you know, I think all language is sort of alien, um, but specifically pictorial languages and languages that we don't understand, um, you know, or that we aren't able yet to comprehend uh, contain this sort of uh, mystery and power. Um, And so I just remember being a kid and spending time at this museum with my dad and kind of him going through, you know, reading these hieroglyphs to me and, you know, the, the language itself as he translated it had, it just, it had a poetic voice. Um, and it was also foreign of course, because it was coming from another culture, um, with its own worldview. Um, but, you know, the combination of just these strange images and, um, you know, strange to me images, I should say. Um, and this, uh, this text, which concerned, you know, life, death, and mysteries, and was written in a non-everyday kind of style both like piqued my interest in that. Um, yeah. And then I guess kind of as I got older, I just continuously had these experiences with ghosts, um, or what I believe were ghosts. Um, and I think that kind of was like the opening of the world where things held a potential, um, to kind of be different than what other people perceived or what other people expected. Um, because I would talk about these experiences to family members or friends and they would be like, Oh, you know, like I was like the one that, the one that talks about ghosts (laughs) or whatever in my family. So they were just like, Oh, it's Elizabeth. She saw a ghost. (laughs) Um, and that was just kind of how it was.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that answer, especially, um, like conjuring the visions of being in that museum and sort of that relationship with things that are so profanely sacred, like um, the hieroglyphs and stuff, like language that was only constructed by um, sort of like these initiates, you know, very exclusive. Um,
1: Yeah. And I mean, definitely also, I think as I've gotten older, my relationship to that has become A lot more complicated the way i view that um you know the history of stolen artifacts which were never meant to be moved it's right (laughs) very colonial um but it is also i think um i don't know i think with with any pictorial language or any hieroglyphic writing there's always that kind of window into sort of uh, what letters can be when they contain more than just the representation of a sound um, right. yeah, yeah, do you think
2: uh your that sort of uh foundational interest in hieroglyphics uh had something to do with your later interest in tarot and I mean, I guess poetry, of course, but do you think there's a link between tarot and that sort of pictographic language
1: I mean for me, and it's funny because. My dad and I are far from close, but he was really, like, the the kind of person who sparked my interest in just various forms of esotericism. So yeah. when I was a teenager, he gave me his old deck of tarot cards um, along with a couple of books written by Arthur E. Waite yeah. and, um, you know, the classic Pictorial Guide to the Tarot. Um, and yeah, I mean, he they were a, a deck of Rider White cards, and I just became really obsessed with them. Um, because I don't know, I think it's also funny because I always kind of approached it from this sort of intuitive angle. Like, I think it wasn't until you know, maybe a year or two later that I really started to dive into the symbols um, of the tarot and what they meant and and what they stood in relation to, and I really um, I honestly personally think I benefited from this like hillbilly style of just diving into it. yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, I mean he he definitely was the sort of originator for that in my life.
0: Cool. Yeah. And so I think we're going to be super excited to talk about the Goetia and um, Grim Warwick ceremonial magic um, as you are a practitioner of both. Um, And maybe we could talk a little bit about sort of before we go hard into the Goetia stuff, um, maybe how how there's like a feedback between your artistic practices and um, these magical languages. Totally. Yeah. Um, I
1: would say in terms of, I mean, I think poetry is a medium that is, I don't know. It's, it's something that I think is a little bit harder for people to get into or to see immediate connections. Um, but to me, you know, when you think about the history of, Writing, even when you think about the history of in the grimoire t- tradition, um, a lot of the spirits that are gods of magic, um, Hermes is a very classic example, but there are many more, um, are also gods of writing. So there's just always been right, this yeah. sort of immediate connection. Just even in terms of the word grimoire, um, it relates to the French grammaire, which was in relation to books that are written in Latin. So to me, um, you know, I'm primarily a poet and I work in other mediums, mostly, you know, kind of like presenting and supporting other artists and their work. But in terms of my creative practice, thinking about poetry, thinking about rhythm, repetition, um, it brings to mind incantation. And I sort of wonder if poetry began with uh, incantation potentially right yeah, you know we yeah. think of early epics like gilgamesh or beowulf and it's really clear especially with you know like anglo-saxon kenning it's like there's this sort of sense of language and its mystique um kind of being contained in the sounds having this rhythm um, and also kind of containing these riddles um and yeah. warranting a rereading and a rereading. And this sort of sense of repetition can place you into almost a trance state. Right. Um, yeah.
2: That's totally
3: you
1: know, and then there are figures like Sappho, who is arguably the mother of you know, what poetry ultimately became and mm. she is a really good example of a poet who combined this kind of like recognition of the divine um largely through gods um and spirits and then this sort of subjectivity and interiority of her experience both with that and just with sort of this like sensuous world yeah um so i feel like there's a long tradition of overlap between occultism and poetry you yeah you could talk about like yeats or yeah just like the connections between surrealism and occult doctrines or just the history of poetry's relationship to prayer and vacation um, connection with like the Godhead or with gods.
2: Totally. You kind so. of just tore through a bunch of the stuff I wanted to ask about. That's <laughs> awesome. I <laughs> <That's awesome. Yeah. laughs>
0: uh, guess we could wrap up then. I guess.
2: Uh, and <laughs> uh, your like email earlier, I guess you mentioned uh, Stephen Jonas and uh, Peter Redgrove as two, two poets that you've been reading lately. What, how do you see that sort of stuff play out in their work?
1: Yeah. Um, So Stephen Jonas, um, I became very obsessed with after City Lights, um, printed the posthumous release of a collection of his work called Arcana. Um, and he, for anyone that isn't familiar with him, um, he's a black American poet. Um, he's gay and he wrote in the fifties and sixties as part of Uh, Boston's uh, what is called The Occult School of Poetry Um, He was like a contemporary of Jack Spicer and John Wieners But he is like A very fascinating poet Both because he kind of Represents this He's like a real fountain Of knowledge on You know Myth um, A variety of poetry from Ancient times to the present Just history in general and then this sort of um relationship that he had to jazz music and his love of jazz. He often recited his poems um to jazz. And I think he wrote a lot of his poems with uh, keeping in mind the uh, that they should be recited, that they should be read and um, experienced out loud. Um And he just had this sort of sense of musicality that is like very playful but also um, kind of, you know, the way that he uses these sort of slant rhymes and the way that he is like matching ideas um, and sounds is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I know there's this quote from him that I love because he's also a very mysterious guy. Like he, he, um, kind of like the artist Jack Smith, he kind of wove this tapestry of... Tall tales um, sort of surrounding his birth. No one really knows uh, where he was born or to whom. Um, and he, you know, being an esotericist, said it's easier to explain where two and fours of alchemy than to tackle the Jonas <laughs> mysteries. It's just like a very <laughs> mysterious figure. So yeah. I highly recommend um giving his work a read. Yeah, he's a great hoaxer um, kind of too, right? Yeah. We can, What's that?
0: We can definitely um we can jump in hoaxing. because 'cause we've been talking a lot about that in the past couple of weeks. Um but I think maybe we should talk a little bit about um the Goetia and the lesser key of Solomon. Um And here's the unanswerable question, but for our listeners who don't know what the hell we're talking about, what is the Goetia?
1: Yeah. So I think it's interesting, you know, you mentioned the lesser key and I think that's a lot of people's introduction to it. Um, You know, through Mathers and Crowley and their writing on it and sort of their interest um, in that text. And that was certainly my introduction to it. Um, through this, you know, Solomonic magic technique of getting into that ritual space. Um, To me, though, it's interesting because I think um, my understanding of what Goetic magic is has really evolved with the work of Jake Stratton-Kent, who Mm. is, um, in my opinion, like one of just the most formative kind of minds who's been really trying to return Goetic Magic to um, its proper place as a legitimate tradition, which is um, has a sort of significance that is much deeper than it's understood. Um, so I think, to me, Goetic Magic is this sort of connection with our archaic past mm. and sort of the thread or the, as Terrence McKenna would say, like the shamanic thread, um, that moves through history, um, from ancient times to the present and, um, which is connected with necromancy and low magic. Um, yeah.
0: Amazing. Yeah. And, um, so for our listeners who, um, still are, um, grasping at open water here, the Goetia, um, at at its lowest understanding, is the conjuration of um, these sort of um, biblical demons, um, whether you understand it to be contacting um, entities, spirits, or if it's sort of like the more Jungian totemic aspects of our own psyche, um, it is the actual manifestation of these visual entities through magical languages. Um, yeah, and I, I guess I'm, like, I'm interested in sort of like the intersection of the physical ramifications of this stuff um, and, and the ethereal um, and maybe sort of like the alchemical processes involved. And, and maybe if you, I know it's kind of personal, but if you do want to talk a little bit about um, what sort of these conjurations entail um, and what the process is sort of like.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so kind of as far as I have come to believe, um, what we call theurgy and, and what we would call ceremonial magic, um, which I also don't specifically identify as like a ceremonial magician, um, anymore. Um, but all of this developed basically directly out of, the elements of the goisha um and so it's really interesting because when i first became interested in you know specifically like many others like became interested in the spirits that are cataloged in the lesser key so um i remember talking to people who were maybe more specifically used to working with angels, um, and with, I guess, um, intelligences that are less earthbound, you know, and having these conversations with people who would say, oh, you know, I don't work with chthonic spirits. Um, Mm. and to me, it's interesting because there is this weird taboo against it. Um, and I think it it has been really, mm, maligned and kind of misunderstood by a lot of occultists but if we actually think of the chthonic realm as the substratum um we can see that it's the foundation kind of like you know you might say mycelium or like these mycological networks that connect below the surface of the earth um but yeah i mean i think that there is this tradition in um within the grimoire tradition there is this sort of like history um of this great depth and significance um which deals with the primal realities you know Mm. all of the difficult experiences that um those we are descended from went through you know this need for food or shelter like that is spoken to in in depth in you know a lot of the medieval grimoires that's kind of like it's covered but there are other things that are covered too which is kind of what it um what makes it so interesting um something that i love um that jake stratton kent wrote about in his book of the true grimoire um which is basically his reconstruction of that grimoire um, from kind of like a comparative literature standpoint of, you know, looking at um, different translations of the text, the French and Italian. um, He kind of speaks about necromancy as a rejected knowledge. Hmm. Um, And, you know, his belief or his theory that he kind of bases this Book on which is meant to trace um, partially the origins of the spirits, but also more so, I think, the origins of the actual um, system of of working itself um, is that basically the human capacity for symbolic thought would have been activated for the first time through ritual um, before it was deployed to like scientific cultural advances. So, kind of like the notion that. What we've gained as a society, we've gained through our um, through our kind of, like, necromantic urge. And when I say necromancy, I kind of mean working with chthonic spirits or working with the spirits of the dead. Um, and usually um, kind of in that more Saturnian and immediate way where there's a need, you know, and you apply to these spirits with whom you potentially have a relationship, um, to address that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think to me, what really blew me away, um, and kind of got me into seeing it from a different angle, um, or allowed me to sort of within my own mind, make this connection, um, that goetic magic is more than what, um What is said about it, or what has been said or accepted about it? Um, was just kind of coming into an understanding of this sort of intermediary spirit figure. Um and you see that later with with John D, you know, right. there's this, yeah. um, you know, he is using, and i'm not I'm not versed in Enochian magic, but I know that he used Kelly as his seer in the Mendel system. And right. in basically like the system that moves through time, like from ancient time to the present, um, you know, to through to like Trithemius art of drawing spirits into crystals through to John D, um, through to the Abremelin system, um, Involves this kind of like intermediary spirit, you know, similar to the holy guardian angel in a Bremelin, which gives access and conversation with the other spirits. Um, And this system that is present specifically in the true grimoire, the Grimoireum Verum, um, which is a grimoire from the 1800s or the 18th century, um, it's... It originates essentially or it's seen first within the Greek magical papyri, um, which is a very fascinating um, early grimoire that is syncretic in terms of kind of involving spirits from really like a cavalcade of different cultures. You know, the Greeks, the Egyptians, there are these sort of syncretized gods, but it is essentially the the the. Maybe not the beginning of the grimoire system, but the beginning of this method wherein there is an intermediary spirit whose presence is invoked. The spirit gives access to the others. um, And, you know, from there you can either ask these other spirits questions um, or ask for something in specific. Uh, One will volunteer. The original spirit can clear the others away. And then the selected god can kind of commune with the magician um so that is kind of to me you know it's like a lot of times in my own work i use uh johannes trithemius kind of method of crystallomancy um just scrying into and drawing spirits into crystal mm. and um i don't know it is it's it's sort of is poetic magic provides the thread which is present in all of those practices but really kind of hasn't been recognized as such you know it hasn't been recognized as the sort of um what would you say like the resin in which this tradition has been preserved and moved through time Hmm. so it has this significance that's really deep
0: yeah i love um when there's sort of that collision of um, mysticisms from Different religions, that's sort of where we get Gnosticism occurring and all sort of um, the mystery wrapped up with like the Templars from when they went to um, the Crusades and sort of picked up Sufism. Um, when there's sort of that like dialogue between um, very old, um, very old languages of mysticism, you kind of get like these amazing results. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think one of the things that really got me obsessed with, beyond everything else, just the history of the grimoire tradition, which is very rich, um, there, um, the historian Owen Davies writes a lot about this, this sense of um, how understanding the history of the grimoire tradition aids you in understanding how Christianity spread, how Islam spread, um, mm-hmm. how early science developed, um what what influence print had, which is something I'm super obsessed with. Yeah. Um just like how literacy literacy has grown and also just how colonialism has impacted um everything, how slavery have has um you know it it's very much a part of this history. These texts move from Europe, they move to South America um, they move to America and they do different things where they move. Parts of them are adopted and syncretized with other religions, but um it's just it's you can really kind of see um, this impact of colonialism um just yeah. moving in real time in just as Western culture expands across the ocean essentially.
2: Yeah.
0: And sort of um like I guess talking about, um, manifestation through language, I mean, that's, you know, the word of God, quote unquote, I guess maybe this question is pointless, but does your sort of work, um, you know, being a practitioner of magic, uh, does it lead you to sort of theorize on like the nature of these things in terms of, um, I don't know, maybe sort of, um, panpsychism or something, or do you think it's something more totemic, sort of, in a Jungian sense?
1: Um, sorry, will you rephrase the question? I'm not totally understanding.
0: Yeah, in terms, like, just in terms of, like, contacting spirits and stuff, do you sort of begin to, like, theorize if, if it's something more, like, totemic aspect? Oh, do I our...
1: think that there are spirits that you are literally conjuring, or do I think it is more, like, a psychological urge or part of the mind?
0: Yeah, or if there's even like a point of making the distinction.
1: Um, you know, I have a very both-and approach to life and magic. I feel like one of the things that attracts me to the esoteric tradition is um kind of the fact that in order to partake of it in order to work with it, you have to be able to hold almost any belief for the amount of time that you're um, carrying out a ritual. So I don't know, you know, I think it's very much my nature to sort of move back and forth in understanding. But as far as my relationships um, with the spirits that I work with uh, go, I would say my understanding is that they're real, but Um, Then there's a wider picture um, that's sort of more of the, you know, oneness (laughs) sort of situation of, um, you know, the way you talk to a a character in a dream and in the dream they're separate, but they're also part of your psyche. Like there are like things I can theorize on a larger level, but to me here now. I would say my belief is that they're real. But, you know, I think it's 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 interesting because I'm also somebody who is by nature skeptical. And I think it's it's very important to be able to be able to at least temporarily move back and forth in between worldviews for like any period of time.
0: Yeah. Exposing yourself to a different reality tunnel.
1: I feel like chaos magic is a very good teacher of that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess today, do you see any? I get. I mean, we're going through all these changes, right? All this weird, all this you know, terrible stuff happening to the <laughs> world. Uh, do you see? You any, can say that again. <laughs> do you see any uh, any kind of like change in this in the world of the spirits? Is there any sort of like mirroring happening there? What? What? How do you see this I love whole that question? Yeah, this great. crisis. Mm. Uh, how do you see the crisis unfolding in that uh, in that other world, or you know that aspect?
1: You know. Here? Yeah, I would say I see that the most with my um, my ancestors that yeah. I work with. Um, because I specifically charge them with work that maybe could be called more political. Mm. Um, like I specifically charge them to or ask them to do work um, here in this realm that is you know, immediately helpful to not only myself, my friends, my family, but like the community that I'm a part of. And, um, I feel like since things in my life got crazier, um, which, you know, they've been crazy, but in March, (laughs) I think when COVID hit in New York, there was nothing really like it. Like it was just very intense here. Um, and, um, yeah, they really ramped up. They just went full speed ahead. Um yeah. <laughs> And I actually, on the eve of the new year, I always ask for a divinatory dream from them about what the year is going to sort of show us. And <laughs> the dream that I had was very crazy. Um and it was actually very funny because i didn't totally understand the dream until i watched and it's funny that i i was i was very late watching the seventh seal um yeah. ingmar bergman and i watched that this year and the the ending of the seventh seal was very much the dream that i had or oh related God. to the dream that i had it used the same language and i was like oh yeah. you know plague movie so right. yeah um yeah, I think in that in that realm. And also I would say my dreams are um oh yeah. yeah. My my internal world and, and the dreams that I have are more vivid than I've ever had before. So yeah, me too. Um yeah. yeah.
3: Huh.
0: Yeah, and I mean for the purpose of this show, obviously we have to ask um what your thoughts are on UFOs. <laughs>
3: <laughs> on UFOs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but just because like the past two weeks, um We've basically done shows about um, abductees, contactees, and sort of we've been talking a lot about this idea of how the hoax sort of morphs into a sort of golem or like a hyper sigil itself and and masks itself as reality and then becomes reality in a sense.
1: Yeah. So, you know, like I said... (laughs) I don't know a lot about it. I I feel strangely sensitive to it. Um, Like it overwhelms me to even dive too deep into it. I'll get over it at some point. Um, But yeah, I honestly just, I feel like, when I watched Hypernormalization for the first time by Adam Curtis, yeah, there's yeah. kind of like that segment on UFOs that I thought was really interesting. Mm. Um, yeah. and it's really funny for someone like me who just told you that, yes, I believe that all of, you know, the demons that are named and, um, and referenced in these various spirit catalogs are completely real. Like, I think it's funny for me to turn around and say, I have, kind of like a not a skeptical view of UFOs i feel like a lot of my friends who i respect quite a bit are like deeply interested in it um but i also see the capacity to kind of project um i think our desires that that um there's someone out there to kind of save us from yeah. impending Crisis which is impending, um, that there is something out there that has access to this technology that's beyond our view. Um, but I'm not, I'm not altogether close to it. I have, when I was young, I a good friend of mine that I went to high school with, um, and a couple other friends were all in a car together and they all swear that they saw a UFO. Um, and I trust them, you know, it's, it's just weird. It's like, I don't really know. I don't have a fully formed opinion on it. Right. I
2: think the UFO thing is not entirely distinct from the magic thing. I think they're very much.
1: Yeah. I had an ex who was obsessed with talking about how angels and aliens are the same. Oh, that's
0: the sort of the (laughs) archon. The archon theory is like very popular. The, the old Gnostic adage. Of sort of these um, malevolent rulers um, derived from the seven planets, that we could save that for ten episodes from now. But yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't go as far as saying yeah, like angels are aliens or a- aliens are angels, but that there's a sort of a, a line that moves from uh, you know invocation and magical practices all the way through like contactees in the 50s and 60s, that sort of thing. I think that there's a a through line, you know. ¶¶¶¶
1: There's tons of tons of books. On
2: it, it. Yeah,
3: it's, it's funny all...
1: because it is the one thing that I actually feel afraid of. Like it is not, oh. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of funny. I just feel like whenever I got into goetic magic, maybe my lens was more Judeo-Christian than it is now, and so right. the thought of you know communing with a demon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's heavy. So I wasn't scared to do that. And I will say that in terms of just having, um, an experience of manifestation, like where the spirit was there as if in the flesh and where things happened in my house, um, that were, would have been scary in another context. Like that didn't scare me either. Although it does, uh, jolt the respect into you, but, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. For some reason, aliens are like the the thing I'm not ready to touch.
0: Oh, it, it should definitely yeah. scare the hell out of you because it'll <laughs> just drive you insane, like the cloudiness of it all, especially like <laughs> we discussed last week sort of the whole element of um or the cloud of unknowing of government secrecy involved and yeah. Yeah. all the operatives and stuff. It just makes it even more frustrating.
1: I mean, I've been thinking about that a lot in terms of even just covid conspiracies like i feel like the thing that i've been thinking about consistently about conspiracies and conspiracy theories is how much they develop in a space where there's either like a vacuum of information or information is being deliberately obscured or there's like competing information and i feel like it's like i don't know i've just been considering how that kind of like lack of clear leadership lack of clear um kind of guidance in terms of how to even move forward just creates this space where yeah. like we don't have the answers, so we create them. and And it's interesting, too, because I think the other thing with with extraterrestrials um, is kind of, I don't know. it's it's almost like,, um, and again, yeah, maybe a bit of a hypocritical stance to take. Um, and not totally committed to this thought. It's just something I've considered. Um, you know, sometimes I feel like it is easier to. Almost like to to consider that there is something that is uh, massively behind the scenes that is orchestrated, that is being hidden from you. Um, yeah.
0: yeah then, and then that there is a conspiracy. It's like it's yeah.
1: a little bit. Yeah, I mean, even beyond that, it's just it's a little bit more comforting to consider that I think on some level than like, no. oh, this is a train and it's spinning out of control. <laughs> I mean, I don't know where I fall on that spectrum. I'm a Libra. So I think <laughs> I'm just constantly oscillating between yeah. kind of different viewpoints, not committed. But yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that's definitely the rational take on conspiracy theories.
1: I mean, I don't know if I believe that. I feel mad that I said it already.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, some of it really does feel like it was cooked up in like a focus group or something sometimes for the perfect (laughs) virality or something. Right.
1: Like yeah. Yeah. I mean I really think um I mean MK Ultra is something that I'm more like versed in and down to talk about in terms nice, of yeah. things the government has hidden from us and that right. I mean the things that they've released about right. that. Yeah. And I'm not talking about like MK Ultra in some crazy ass like the music industry is right. Illuminati like yeah. Yeah. highbrow like or like lowbrow wave, just like more this essence of you know they like the CIA released these documents yeah, that the did happen they like say it, that
0: they actually yeah <laughs> they're, the,
1: what they're willing to own up to is so <laughs> disturbing um uh, i mean you know and i think um you know again tying into covid and tying into these sort of um elements of of conspiracy I am forgetting the name of that study that was done on black Americans wherein they were given syphilis. The Tuskegee Um, experiment. Yeah. And like that is, again, like fully admissible. So it's not beyond, like, it isn't beyond my comprehension that there could be, you know, UFOs, extraterrestrials, that this information is being hidden by the government. Conspiracies do exist. There are tons of conspiracies. I just wonder. You know, to what level are these conspiracies successful, you know?
0: So I guess that's where you land on lizard people.
1: (laughs) I remember reading David Icke. I mean, when I... Okay, I should probably just tell you guys that when I was um, in middle school, I was down to go really hard on conspiracy theories, so...
0: I think, like... It's really, like, we were so excited to talk to you about the Goetia and, um, you know, these magical languages and practices because um, I think sort of the frustration of researching the history of ufology and sort of these charlatan characters and then you have operatives and there's just like so much dodginess to it Mm -hmm. where sort of the element of control that you can implement where you're sort of saying that you're actually like taking control of your relationship with sort of the spirit realm, quote unquote. Um, I think it's just really interesting to hear that in contrast sort of to the UFO stuff. Which uh,
1: taking control, how do you mean?
0: Um, Just sort of like through these processes, say something like the Goetia where it's sort of this like very heavy discipline where if you're not like finishing the process, you know, and you have to implement like this regimented control, as I would assume, right?
1: I mean, that's the interesting thing. I think that um, you know, like I said, it's it's like getting into it through a Solomonic lens. Um, I actually found that there were a lot of a lot of elements of that style of working that you can just, you know, first it was like for me, first it was like approaching it by rote, doing everything. And then you find, oh, there are some things that are included in this text um, that were specifically included to alienate the poor, you know, to alienate people who didn't have access to money. This isn't necessary. Um, And then experimenting and finding what can be included, what can cannot be included. Um, And I guess gradually, it's not to say that I never do Solomonic magic. It's just with, um, with these spirits, I don't. I, I get very disillusioned with the process because I think, um, I don't know, there is a certain formality, I would say that, that needs to be observed when you make contact with any new spirit. But when you, as you develop a working relationship with a spirit, um, that formality no longer becomes necessary. Um, I remember I think it was Jason Miller maybe I was listening to an interview with where he spoke about I believe he did this invocation of Astaroth as like a teenager. Um and he said, Well, she showed me that the the magical circle was basically just a farce. Hmm. Um and I think in Solomonic Magic, um yeah a lot of a lot of the things that that are there either to protect the magician like i guess it's it's also just like if you are looking at Goetia as though it were um as though these demons were a part of your mind um as some people do right uh, do you want to you know curse and bind these spirits, these beings into um into submission in this, um, you know, very Judeo-Christian, very patriarchal way, um, or are there other ways that you can work with them? Um, and I feel like, um, to, to follow the, I mean, I feel like the, just the practice of following the system laid out in the Grammarium Verum taught me so much about what, um, kind of what lies beyond sort of when you when you sort of you know still occupying the space of being the magus, still occupying the space um of of your will um but sort of it it presents an alternative way of working um with those spirits and connecting with them and kind of entering into affinity or kinship with them, um, then, then is offered in Solomonic magic. And I would also say, you know, tracing the history of what a lot of these demons really are, um, is very fascinating. Um, because there are a lot of different potentialities. There are a lot of possibilities. Um, and we, we, who are raised with a Judeo-Christian lens can right. easily see the word "demon" and associate it with this very specific um, thing that that you're probably imagining too. You know. Yeah. Um, but you know, when we think about the long history of paganism, the long demonization mm-hmm. of paganism, um, and all of the ways that that spirits and magic have moved from their beginnings, um, in Persia with Zoroaster and like all ever since, you know, to the very present, um, you know, it, it, it sort of feels a lot more open to me. Um, and these spirits sort of begin to feel more familial to me, um, to the point where I don't, I don't work in that way anymore. I don't feel like, um, I also think control is a thing. I don't know. I mean, there, it sort of is the Wild West in terms of magic for me. Like, if I want to work with an environment that is very controlled, um, I will practice, I will work with, um, you know, Renaissance and medieval astrological magic. I'll yeah. kind of do something, um, where I know if I calculate the exact time that I am supposed to do this specific ritual, I will end up with this exact result. And with Goetic Magic, it's like that all goes out the door, in in my experience. Um, It's really, um, and again, I keep mentioning Jake Stratton Kent, and I highly recommend anyone listening to just read his work, because I think it's it's super important. But um, he talks a lot about the notion of burnt fingers, like, you know, kind of just jumping in as soon as, you feel the inclination and just mm. kind of being ready to like char yourself a little bit and i feel yeah. like that sort of willingness to give up control is the only thing that has sort of given me any measure of magical prowess kind mm. of as i've gotten older if that makes sense
0: no that was right. an excellent yeah excellent answer like great insights on it too um And I just, I love that anecdote about the magical circle being a farce. That's so interesting. Yeah.
3: Um,
1: Yeah. I remember hearing that and like laughing because I feel like that's something that you experience. I mean, I experienced for sure. Just like these spirits are, are in some cases, very, very big and very ancient. Um, and I mean, it's just interesting the ways in which, uh, they will impress that upon you. Um, yeah right
2: Yeah. i mean a lot of them are like gods kind of recontextualized right
0: exactly so yeah they're,
2: yeah they're gonna be yeah have some pride or something right yeah <laughs> gotta have some pride yeah um so as far as your current tarot practices um i mean i guess it's interesting that i before i knew that you knew dave i we had you had uh done a tarot reading for me um Oh, yeah. And I think back then you mentioned that there was a lot of stuff coming up for a lot of your... Um, has anything been coming up a lot lately? Like, is anything in the air with a tarot right now, card like, card-wise?
1: Yeah, you know, I've actually taken a break from, from doing client readings. And in my own kind of divination practice, a lot of yeah. the time for myself, um, I will either do a divination by asking a spirit questions, I'll oh, scry... No. I'll listen to my dreams. I'm a li- little bit more um, abstract with it for myself at this point. Interesting. Um, but I think, yeah, around around the time that I gave you a reading, it was I felt like I was giving the same reading over and over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just because it was the first time that I've ever really like had all my clients going through at least like one similar thing at the same time, where it's right. like. Oh, worldwide everything is shut down. I'm talking to my clients in Berlin. I'm talking to my clients in Vancouver. And like I'm talking to my my clients in America and it was sort of across the board, you know. Like everyone yeah, was yeah. looking for the same answers. It was honestly a little bit a little bit overwhelming just because I felt like well, I was specifically a lot of people were asking questions like when will covid end <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah right. i would probably ask like an epidemiologist but yeah, i don't know yeah. that i would necessarily ask the tarot personally that's
2: yeah <laughs> that's yeah so yeah stepping away from tarot a bit yeah i can see i th- yeah i think a lot of the most uh but for your own personal divination, what I do is it tends to be less systems based for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, I love the tarot. I think it's very much a thing that I connect to my client work at this point. Right. That makes Um, sense. But, but it is so, um, I mean, you know, it's like you develop your own, I'm just so, so familiar with it at this point that I can whip it out and like tell (laughs) someone what's going on in five seconds, which is like a great, a great tool, but I actually find it more confusing, um, as a personal tool than, that makes sense. you know, yeah. just, yeah. just writing down my
2: dreams and working with them. Right. You have that whole system inside yeah. your mind already. Kind of. Yeah. The, the yeah.
1: Or it's a little bit more like, um, I think in tarot, I don't know. There's definitely that the, the only time in which I would ever want to like read tarot for myself is if I'm having like, a love conundrum or like a work situation. And I see those are situations where there's like a lot of desire. I think a lot of the reason that I'm able to do good work for other people, whether that's, you know, spell work that I'm being hired for, or it's a tarot reading is because I have no stake.
2: (laughs) I see. Yeah. Totally.
1: You know, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we're, we're about at the, um, 50 minute mark, I guess we could close up. I think, um, if the rest of our interviews are half as good as this one, we'll be yeah. on the right track. Totally. <laughs> that incredible insights on the Goetia, especially. Yeah. It was just super interesting to hear all that. Um, and I guess, uh, would you like to close this out with something? Me? A reading?
1: Oh, <laughs> like me? <laughs> yeah, actually, I would love to read a little Peter Redgrove for that, you. That would be since awesome. we were talking about it. Yeah. Um, there is a poem that I think is more in relation to Boisha, but I actually want to read this this other poem that I think is more musical and kind of captures that um, sense of what the poet Kaveh Akbar calls like the presence of the long, faultless tongue of God or like the, the notion mm-hmm. of like hymning directly to God. Um, yeah. So this poem by, by Peter Redgrove is called Nude Descending the saint has multiplied her limbs every thread of drapery and nerve feeling into each corner of the room as she descends the stairs the nude clothed only in her vapors her great power sleeves even in the banal condominium now full of grace felt out by her with each fresh step a new set of feelers is created or wings for her auric fields resemble the gold grain of a moth wing if we did not know that here is a new descending we would believe we were in the presence of a queen of moths and her perfumes which were also light like clothes and provisional ears and muslin radio dishes since this gracious passing through epiphany was mediated by the odors we do not now need any contrived pomps for each breath of air each lungful is a palace. Cool. Thank you guys for having
0: me. Amazing. Awesome. Incredible. Thank you, yeah, Thank you so much.
1: On. Yeah. Talk to you guys soon. Have a lovely day. And
0: we'll be back next week. That's it for us. All right. Um, do, if you are still listening on SoundCloud, um, we ask that you please hop onto Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or YouTube. Um, all of the archived episodes will be there, and it will not be hosted on Southbound,